Well, hello. So good to be with you today. Y'all look marvelous on this Sunday. Or is it just the sunshine outside? Hey, my name's Adrian. If we haven't yet connected, love to chat with you after the service. I'm one of the pastors here, and we welcome you to join us here at Carney E. Free. Thank you so much for joining us today. You know, last Sunday was, I think, a special one in our church. It wasn't intended to be a special Sunday, but God just moved in a great way in this room last Sunday, and we saw a dozen or so people make commitments to Christ. A number of them came forward and asked for prayer and let us know how we can follow up well with them. If, if you've recently made a commitment to Christ, be it last Sunday or some other time in the previous weeks, would you please let us know that just by using this tear-off portion of the communication card and putting it in uh, one of these connection boxes or the information tables you leave here today. There's also one of those in the venue. We just want to know uh, if you have and if we can follow up with you in any way, let you know about next steps for baptism. We'll have next baptism shortly after Easter. Love for you to be a part of that. But we are so excited to see God moving in this place on a regular basis. And last Sunday, well, was one of those weeks. Praise and glory be to God. Amen. Today we are uh, continuing in our message series titled God's Story, Our Story, and we just concluded uh, a six-week march through the book of Exodus, excuse me, not Exodus, that's what we're going to today, through the book of Genesis, I should know these since I just preached them, <laughs> through the book of Genesis, and um, I hope you saw some resonance between some of those stories in the book of Genesis and your own story. And that's what we'll see again and again as we march through 40 weeks in the Bible, some connection between these great stories from long, long ago that God wrote for our own endurance, for our own instruction, for our own hope, and then our own story today. Again, we are looking at the scriptures from 30,000 feet, and so we won't get all of the details, but hopefully in the process of this year, you start to see the forest of what God has done in his revealed scriptures over time. In your outline here, though, this morning, you'll see a number of icons that kind of take you through the book of Genesis, and I want to just take a moment to review those. You'll see them up here on the screen and in your outline. But these words written up here take you through the book of Genesis. These first five, creation, image of God, fall of humanity, flood, and babel. Those five words take you through Genesis 1 through 11. Really, if you just remember those five words, you have these categorical hooks to hold on to the main stories in Genesis 1 through 11. Then these next four words underneath patriarchs, these next four names, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, that's Genesis 12 through 50. There you have it. With those nine words, you hold on to them, you have the overarching stories for the whole of the book of Genesis, from which then you can teach your kids uh, some other details. You can disciple others and other details as you go. I find that helpful for my learning. Maybe you do as well to have these categorical hooks, particularly well with these images. My assumption in this series is perhaps best summarized by this quote from Pastor Robert Morris out of Gateway Church in the Dallas area. This was sent to me by one of the men in our church that I've met with before. He, he said this, God's word is spiritual food. It's spiritual water. It's spiritual light and spiritual breath. 
physically, you can live for a few weeks without food. You can live for a few days without water. You can live for a few minutes without breath. Why do you think that you could exist spiritually without these things? This is God's word to us. This is the scriptures to us. It's spiritual nourishment to us, spiritual bread and water and breath. And men and women do not live on bread alone, but as Jesus said, on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, and so we want to get it into us. My assumption is that we can, that we can learn it using proper biblical interpretation principles, we can study it for ourselves, we can apply it to our own lives, and that you and I, all of us, can do this together. We can learn and understand the Bible for ourselves. To that end, we've distributed this reading plan. I just want to review just a little bit though this morning as we turn the page out of Genesis. And we have this reading plan though that's available to you out of the information table. And if you're new here though this morning, we encourage you to pick up one of these. If you haven't picked up one of these to this point in the series, please pick one of these up. You can just start from where we are here in Exodus. And uh, it doesn't take you through the entirety of the Bible. But in one to two chapters of the Bible per day, you get a broad overview of the Scriptures uh, that, that, that takes you through in addition to these messages. You get to feed yourself throughout each and every week. And again, my belief is we can feed ourselves and we can learn from the Scriptures on our own. This week's reading plan is a little bit lengthier than most weeks uh, because we're going through the book of Exodus in just two weeks. If you thought we went through Genesis quickly, just wait. But... Um, it's just about two to three chapters per day, maybe five days this week. And I'm telling you, in 15 minutes a day, you can do this. Can you do this? We're doing it together because we believe God's word is for us today. First, before I really jump into today's message, why don't we start with a little bit of Bible humor, shall we? Who was known as the first mathematician in the Bible? Quiet in here, how about in the venue? Moses, he wrote the book of Numbers. Dad joke, bad dad joke. George W. Bush, the president of the United States, was in an airport lobby. He noticed a man in a long flowing white robe with long flowing white hair and long flowing white beard. The man had a staff in one hand and some stone tablets under the other arm. Excited, George W. approached the man and inquired, aren't you Moses? The man ignored George W. and just kind of stared up at the ceiling. Mr. Bush positioned himself more directly in the man's view and asked again, aren't you Moses? The man continued to peruse the ceiling. George tugged at the man's sleeve and asked him once again, aren't you Moses? The man finally responded in an irritated voice, yes, I am. George W. asked him why he was so uppity, and the man replied, the last time I spoke to a bush, I had to spend 40 years in the desert. <laughs> it is terrible, I heard someone just say that, yeah. I wonder who we might be talking about today. I'd like to give you the book of Exodus in eight episodes, really quickly. 
Again, you'll see this in your notes, you version or your paper notes, however you do it. Eight simple episodes that take us through the book of Exodus. The first one is Moses' birth and preservation. So Moses, of course, is born. He goes into what is called now a Moses basket. He's floated down the Nile River, and he is miraculously saved, and he's actually reared by Pharaoh's daughter. And the reason I say he was saved is because this was at a time in a civilization that unfortunately, much like our own, oftentimes did not honor life. And so Egypt was killing the firstborn of all the Hebrew slaves. The Hebrews are now slaves in Egypt, and the firstborn males are being killed. And Moses is rescued, and he is reared in this Egyptian home of Pharaoh. And he becomes the prince of Egypt, and his fingers are undoubtedly covered with gold. He's got necklaces on and the finest linen. He is preserved. That's the first episode. Then you have Moses' murder and exile. He kills a man. In the midst of seeing well, what's going on amongst the Israelites who are now enslaved to Egypt for 400 years, his conscience is pricked for the very first time, and he proceeds to kill an overseer. He buries that man into the sand, and he's caught for it, and he goes into exile where he marries a Midianite woman, and he lives there in exile. After being in exile for some time, you have the famous burning bush moment where he meets with God, and after meeting with God, he learns that it's going to be his job to go before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. He goes before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is none too pleased with Moses' uh, request. And there's this back and forth again and again between these plagues and Pharaoh hardening his heart to the point that God hardens his heart as well. And he continues to go before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. There's nine plagues, the tenth of which is called the Passover. The Passover, of course, was that haunting moment in which God tells the Israelites to take the blood of a lamb and wipe it over the doorpost of their home and the angel of death well, would come through and it would spare the Israelites but it would kill the firstborn of all of Pharaoh's children and all of the Egyptian children. And much in the same way as Pharaoh sought to kill off these Hebrew slaves and the firstborn of their children, God says, Pharaoh, because you will not let my people go, I'm going to hit you where it hurts the most. Finally, he lets two million slaves walk. And they walk. And they cross the Red Sea. And God splits that sea, and finally they go into the wilderness as they're walking toward their promised land. And then in Exodus chapter 20, Moses receives the Ten Commandments, which he brings down to not much fanfare from the Israelites. More on that later on. We'll talk about the Ten Commandments, in fact, next week. And then after that, a number of Hebrew craftsmen work together to build the tabernacle that they carry through their wilderness wanderings. And the tabernacle is with them as they walk into the promised land. And along with the tabernacle, you have the Spirit of God hovering over them, providing a cloud to protect them by day, to protect them from the scorching sun, and a fire to guide them through the night. That's the book of Exodus in about five minutes. 
minus a few details along the way, I might add. You'll want to read it for yourself. But again, I like these categories that help move us through these large sections of the Bible. The Israelites had been enslaved in Egypt now for almost 400 years, actually over 400 years. And we talked about this a little bit last week as Joseph rises up into vice president while within Egypt, and ironically, Egypt becomes a savior in that moment to future Israel. That was the Egypt of Joseph's day, kind of a savior. The Egypt of this day that Moses is living in now is a killer. It's an enslaver. It's an abuser to the people of Israel who have grown quite large at this point. As I reviewed the life of Moses these past weeks, I, I tell you, I became more and more impressed, certainly with Moses, but I became more and more impressed with God. To use a man like Moses, a man like you and me. I mean, this was a very, very ordinary and faulty man. Isaiah 55, 8, I believe it is, says, God's ways are not like our ways. His thoughts are not like our thoughts. As high as the heavens is above the earth, so are God's ways higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And then it goes on to say, principally, his ways are higher than ours when it comes to his mercy. People like to apply that to suffering or to the experience of evil. Maybe it applies, but that's not what it's about. In context, it's about God's mercy. And you see God's mercy in this profound way as it's extended to Moses. And Moses was this man with a speech impediment, who was a murderer, who married a foreign woman, who had a stubborn and impatient streak to him, and yet God used him to liberate a nation. He's merciful. God is so incredibly merciful to us today. You know that? He's merciful to you, whatever you brought in though this morning. His ways are not like our ways. Friends, God used this man, a very ordinary, sinful man, to end slavery for two million people. You think about the Emancipation Proclamation, which legally, anyway, ended slavery for 3.1 million people. Many still stayed enslaved, unfortunately, but legally it made it happen. I mean, that's Moses. He's kind of like a Abraham, a Le- and, and Abraham Lincoln, and a, a Frederick Douglass, and a Harriet Tubman all wrapped up into one. And it makes me ask the question, what was it about Moses that made him so useful to God? Certainly, more than anything, it's God's mercy. It's God's decision to work with this man, but there were There are some clues in Moses' life that we can learn from that made him particularly useful to God. Open with me in your Bible to Exodus chapter 2. It goes from Genesis is the first book of the Bible, then Exodus is the next. And so about 60 pages in, you'll find Exodus chapter 2, and we'll be in Exodus 2 and 3. You can follow along on the screen or in your phone, however you do it. But we're going to look at Exodus 2, starting in verse 23, and we're going to read a longer section of Scripture this morning, and then I'll pray. We'll go all the way up to Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14. Chapter 2, verse 23. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. 
The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. Remember that. God heard their groaning. And he remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and he was concerned about them. Chapter 3 now. Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness. And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So now Moses is in exile, remember, after he has murdered a man. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Sometimes the Bible states the obvious for us. Why this bush does not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. You hear this reverence of the holiness of God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen The misery of my people in Egypt, I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Say that five times fast. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I'll be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God in this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. You go and tell the Israelites that I am has sent me to you. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you that you still are the great I am. We thank you that you still call ordinary people to extraordinary purposes. We thank you that you're still merciful and you're still hearing your people's cries today. So would you please be attentive to our cries today as we come before you. We invite your presence to us today and we ask that you would teach us from your word that we would apply these scriptures and the great lessons from Moses' life to our lives today. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. Amen. You know, the first thing that I notice in this long passage, though, that we just read is that to be used by God, it actually helps us to feel what God feels. What do you mean by that, Adrian? To feel what God feels. In Exodus 2, which we didn't just read, Moses, again, he witnesses 
an overseer who is abusing some Israelites, and for the very first time, his conscience is pricked over what he sees in that moment. And he takes justice into his own hands, and he kills that overseer, and he buries that man in the sand. The next episode that you see is Moses witnesses a couple Hebrews who are fighting with each other. And he intervenes and he tells them to stop. And one of them sarcastically says to Moses, what are you going to do? Kill us the way you killed that Egyptian? And he realizes that the secret is out. And so he has to flee to Midian. Anger is so dangerous, my friends. It is so dangerous that the Bible says, don't go to bed when you're still angry. Deal with it before you go to bed. Get right with people around you even before you go to bed. It's that dangerous. Moses allowed a righteous anger in him to simmer for so long that eventually it exploded into an unrighteous rage. Now that said, the initial righteous anger that he felt was actually a good thing. He felt with God in this moment a compassion. Maybe for the very first time he felt with God a compassion for an oppressed people. And that was good. Maybe for the very first time he looked at the gold rings all over his fingers and the golden necklaces around his neck and the fine linen on his body and he realized all of this was given on the, on the, the backs of these Hebrew slaves. And, and his stomach got sick and that would be good. Maybe for the very first time he tasted the delicacies of Egypt and they tasted to him like soured milk. And that's a good thing when you allow yourself to feel what God feels. Listen again to the gut-wrenching emotion of God here in chapter 3. I've underlined a number of words here in chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. You heard at the end of chapter 2, and it's restated once again for us in chapter 3. I've underlined a number of words in my Bible. The Lord said, I have indeed seen. Check out all these verbs that describe the emotion of God. I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying. Friends, do you know that your prayers do not hit the ceiling and bounce back to your feet? They go up to God. If your prayers are made in accordance to the will of God, in the name of Christ, they go up to God. God hears your cry. I am concerned, God says. I moved in my belly. Not that God has a belly, but I moved within me. I'm concerned about their suffering, so I'm coming down to rescue. I'm going to bring them out. I'm coming down to act on behalf of my people. You hear the heartbreak of God in that passage. Do you hear it? All right, so here's my question. When was the last time you allowed your heart to break for something that breaks the heart of God? When was the last time you wept over something that you know God is heartbroken over? 
When was the last time you saw something in yourself that you knew God hates? And it brought you to your knees. These are good questions for us to ask ourselves from time to time. We can't weep over all the different ails of humanity, all the different things that ail humanity today. We could make a really, really long list. And I used to believe that I could weep over all of those, and I should weep over all of those, as God is heartbroken over so many things that are going on in our world today. And then I became an adult and had kids. And I realized we just don't have the emotional resources to be moved by everything all the time. That's quite all right. But it does make me ask the question, do I weep over things in my family? Am I really concerned about my family? And am I really concerned about maybe one or two other missions that I know God is calling me to? And do you allow your heart to break sometimes over neighbors who are utterly lost without Christ? Do I allow my heart to break over their condition? Do I allow my heart to break sometimes over single parents who are trying to do it alone 60 hours a week? Do I allow my heart to break sometimes over widows who I know, widowers who I know who are lonely, and then do I allow that to move me to action? Do I allow my heart to break sometimes over marriages that might be breaking up around me, over kids who do not have role models, and on and on we can go. Friends, your affections, your feelings, they matter greatly. They're not as important as objective truth. I've said that many, many times in this room. But your affections, your feelings matter greatly because they are the springboard for your passion. And passion is protein. Passion is protein that other people around you will feast on. Passion is protein that you must feast on to keep you acting Well, when you see something that mourns the heart of God. So are we allowing ourselves to feel what God feels at times? Second, to be used by God, we must choose to simply obey God. I'm convinced that three of the most important words in the entire world are found here in Exodus 3, verse 4. God calls to Moses, 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 and Moses says, here I am. Those are three of the most important words though, that we could possibly have as part of our regular conversation well with God. Here I am, God. Use me. God's looking for men and women who are willing to obey, even when that might mean a redirection, even when that might mean a redirection in something that we're doing within our marriages, a redirection in something that we're doing within our parenting, a redirection in a certain way that we are operating with a certain family member, a redirection in how we are operating well with our neighbors, a redirection. This is who God is. This is what he does. He calls us to repentance every day, to redirection. And so am I willing, am I willing, Adrian, to obey? Here I am, God. Do what you will in me. Now, if you listen closely, that actually wasn't Moses' very first response. He says to God, here I am. But once he understands what God is going to call him to do, he says, no, God, please send someone else. Look at verse 11. Moses said to God, who am I? Not here I am, but who am I, God? Anyone else? Anyone else in this room? 
I said that many times. Who am I that you would use me to go and tell Pharaoh to bring the Israelites out of Egypt? It wasn't here I am. It was who am I? Then later on, even after he negotiates for some time with God, if, if you remember in this story, eventually he says, yeah, I'm here, God. Would you please send my brother instead? You know, send Aaron. I have faltering lips. I might get all tongue-tied as I speak to Pharaoh. Listen to what he says in chapter 4. Moses said to the Lord, chapter 4, verse 10, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. To which God responds... Who gave human beings their mouths, Moses? Don't you know that I can work even through your mouth? Now, before we get too critical of Moses, it's probably wise that we defend him just a little bit. You think about what he's doing. Fact number one, he's appearing before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the greatest empire in the world of the day. How would you feel? Okay? Fact number two... People oftentimes in, public, oftentimes in surveys report to be being more fearful of public speaking than they are of dying. And fact number three, there were no chapters of Toastmasters there in the middle of Midian. So here he is wrestling well with this fact that I'm not eloquent in speech, I'm not eloquent of tongue, and God is calling me to do something great. Eventually, Moses stops negotiating, he just obeys God, and God provides his brother Aaron to help him along the way. And Moses, and he goes and he tells Pharaoh, you're going to let my people go. Come hell or high water, you're going to let my people go. And through great fear, he obeyed. The question again here is, what is God calling you to that you must simply obey? number of important questions from this text that we need to ask ourselves. Do I feel heartbroken for the things that break the heart of God? And what is God calling me to that I must simply obey even if it seems incredibly difficult to do? What mission is God calling you to that you must say yes to? Oftentimes it will be right beneath our, mo- our nose. Most of us are not going to be called to do something like Moses did. We're going to be called to do something that is in our neighborhood in our family, in our communities. I think a couple of years back about a man who said to me, I, I can't lead a Bible study, Adrian. I can't lead a life group. That's not for me. I don't feel equipped to do that. I don't really like leading things like that. But I could be a part of this men in action ministry that you've been talking about. This ministry to widows and single moms. I'm pretty good at changing oil. I'm pretty good at fixing drywall. I'm pretty good at repairing a kitchen sink, and I care about widows who are isolated. Can I be a part of that ministry? I'm responsible. Yeah! Now we have 75 men in this church who are providing that kind of service on a monthly basis for 17 widows and single moms in our church. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, yeah, we can clap for that. If you're a man in this church and you say, boy, I don't know where I can get involved, I don't know what I can do. If you're handy, that could be a part of God's calling to you right now. Perhaps God would even invite you to be involved with something like that right now, to obey. Here's the thing. You want to identify this very simple equation. Where is a need around you? What is your passion 
or a passion that you might have? And will you obey? You put those three things together and you start to get toward this idea of calling. Maybe not your ultimate lifelong calling, but at the very least your calling for right now. I think of the coaches that I look at in this room right now and the excitement they have to invest in young men and young women in our community to grow them in discipline and character and perseverance and leadership. And they're uniting a need for kids to grow in these skills with their passion and obedience and an equals calling and our community is so much better for it, God be praised. I mean, this is what he wants for each of us in small or in big ways. The question is, will I obey? Moses says later on to God, I, I have faltering lips, God. I get tongue-tied. I'm not, I can't speak. It's really interesting. If you look at Moses' excuses to God over and over again, he sounds like he may be a man who stutters. How, how can you say that, Adrian? Because I'm a person who stutters. From time to time, you'll probably hear me stutter even as I preach, and I'll just put that out there so you won't be alarmed. And I stutter because, well, I always have. And I've gone through lots and lots and lots of speech therapy over many, many years up until early adulthood for it. But I used to say these same things. I'm a man of faltering lips. They just don't seem to work right. And I come from a family with many, many men on the Boykin side of the family who are really good at stuttering too, just like me. And I got to laugh at it. You can laugh with me. It's okay. I won't be offended. And so I used to say these kinds of things. No, God, no. I'll just stay in speech therapy. That was my previous career. I was a speech therapist. I'm not going into ministry. I know I, I feel this need to go into ministry. I'm not going into ministry. But eventually God said, will you obey? And the catalyst was seen there's this need for people inside the church and outside the church to be able to see and hear about the utter radiance and joy of God and to see it in the portrait of Jesus himself and to have some of their view of God reformed by the beauty and by the glory of Jesus. And I want to be a mouthpiece for that. And it's a huge need, but because the truth is, whatever you've come in with today, whatever your predisposition is in terms of faith today, whether you're a follower of Christ today or not quite yet, whatever comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Because what comes to your mind when you think about God will determine whether you pray, how you worship, how you look at other people, how you look at yourself, your sense of meaning, and your hope for eternity. It's pretty important. And so this great need for people to think rightly about God through the portrait of Jesus that we're given in the scriptures is combined with this passion that I have that people would see Jesus as he is, see God as he is, utterly holy and utterly glorious and utterly loving and worthy of all of our worship. Combined with obedience, yes, even in spite of my faltering lips, may it be, dear God. And if God happens to call you in an area of weakness, as he did with me, God equips the called. So trust him. Simply obey. And you will fall on your face at times, as I have. And that's quite all right. Because then it will be that much more obvious to everyone who is watching that he is not deserving of the credit, only God. 
Okay? Don't use your weakness as an excuse not to obey God. Use your weakness as an opportunity to say to God, yes, use me all the more so that you would be more glorified in me. Obey God. Persevere with God. Feed on your passion for its protein to other people. Are you with me? Anyone else? And finally, to be used by God, we must be with God. We gotta feel with God. We have to obey what God tells us to do, just simple obedience. God, you say it, that's enough, I'll do it. And then we gotta be with God because we don't have enough in ourselves to do what he says all the time. Moses' ministry began with these promises from God. I will be with you, Moses. You have to know that I will be with you, Exodus 3, 12 and 14. And then it goes on to say, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. The great I am, the self-existent one, the all-powerful God, the one who was and is and always shall be, I'll be with you. And all that you're about to see me do with all these plagues, with the parting of the Red Sea, with all the miracles that you're about to witness, those all will come directly from the one who is Yahweh, I am. The unutterable name is with you. Now the question here that I have to ask, every one of these points comes with the question. The question here is, God is with me, am I spending time with him? God is omnipresent. He's always and everywhere present by his Holy Spirit. But I have to choose to spend time with him. Am I doing it? Are you doing it? I give thanks that God began Moses' ministry this way with these promises. And Moses had the presence of mind to understand that when Israel began to grumble and forget about all those miracles that God just did, God invited Moses once again to come and be with him at Mount Sinai. And in the midst of them being down at the bottom of the mountain, making a golden calf that they would worship on their own, practicing idolatry, and Moses takes those first set of stone tablets and he throws them down and they break and he has to go back up to the mountain again to be with God. And uh, he gets to be with God for 40 days. And he says to the Lord there, Lord, would you please show me your glory? All I need right now, the only thing that will get me through right now is being in your presence. I am so fed up with my brother Aaron. I am so fed up with your people down there who have forgotten all that you have done. I'm so fed up with the grumbling. Anyone else? You got that in your life? Then get away and say, can I just be in your presence? I got to see a bit of your glory, oh Lord. My God. And then he did. In the presence of God for 40 days, God says to him, I will make my goodness pass before you. And in Exodus 34, we see this description 
of the radiant beauty, the utter character of God in Exodus 34, which is stated again and again throughout the Old Testament. This is a great portrait for those of you who aren't sure what God is like, and this is what Moses saw in that moment at Mount Sinai. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Maintaining his love to the thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And yet, he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. That's a portrait of the character of God, if you're curious. And that's what Moses got to see in the midst of his despair. The question for us is, Will we get our fount of strength from the same place that Moses did? I said it before many, many times, 15 minutes a day. Carve out 15 minutes a day. Perhaps an hour on other occasions, once a week. Alone with God. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Meet me in this place of need. I commit myself to being with you, the spirit of the great I am. Would you pray with me? Father, I confess to you that the older I get, the more I am convinced that there is such a sin nature in me there is so much frailty and weakness in me that I don't have a chance to do anything good outside of Christ. I just don't. I don't know about my friends in this room, but for me, there's so many temptations in my heart. There's so many natural habits in me that if I'm not spending time alone with God, I operate in the flesh and I do things that I regret. And so I thank you, Lord, for your promises to Moses that you would never leave him or forsake him, that you would be with him along the way, which is your same promise that you make to us so many times in the Scriptures. Father, you are the great I am. And you give us your Spirit And we recognize that outside of fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing of lasting value. So Lord, our prayer right now as we pray and as we sing of the great I Am is that you would do a great work in each of us. You would bring us to our knees where we need your forgiveness you would help us to say yes where we must obey that we would feel again with you where our hearts have grown cold and that you the great I am would have your way in us through Christ our Lord we pray together